Podcast episode 135. Todd McClellan's going to join us in the second period. But first up, Dennis Bernstein, what's going on? How's the travels been, John? Travels have been, uh, well, they've, uh, they've been better. Let me, uh, I'll tell you what, since you asked, let me, let me tell you about my travel stories. Now, uh, people that listen to the show, they know that we text back and forth all the time, but I have not shared the details of my, my travels with you. So let me, uh, let me bring you up to speed here on how this works. So Friday, uh, I'm going to fly to San Francisco or to uh, San Jose, excuse me. And uh, I really don't like flying Southwest Airlines, Dennis, but the, the, the best best time slots to get there and to come back ended up yeah. being on Southwest Airlines. So I booked the flight on Southwest. I paid the extra money. I'm in the whatever it's called, the business class select, whatever, right? So they guarantee you're in the first 15 uh, positions or whatever, right? So right. I'm, a, I'm A11. They check me in. I'm A11. I'm great. Friday, I'm doing my thing. I'm answering emails. I'm doing all my stuff. But yeah, it's time to get to the airport. I drive over to the uh, Ontario airport, which is the normal airport that I would fly out of. I'm kind of between Orange County and Ontario. Uh, so I f- head over to Ontario. I go. To, I, I get there. There's no parking anywhere. I'm getting really frustrated. I mean, the park, the, every lot's packed. I finally, I find a parking spot. It's in the North 40. I park the car. I hoof it over. I get inside the building. There is a line a mile long, DB. I don't know if you've experienced this yet, but uh, for whatever reason, there's like this, um, there's like this uh, 50 yard area that's that between where you actually go through TSA, where you have to one at a time, you have to go through this long, like a chute or a ramp area where there's a TSA dog and you have to walk through there and the dog just like oh, no. sniffs around you. I don't understand why. Right? No, I've never there's like a hundred people in this line. And I was like, Oh man, oh, come boy. on. What is this? I just want to go up there. I want to get a coffee. I want to sit down, you know, want to get on the plane. So I set this whole thing up perfectly because the, uh, the Kings game is not going to be until two o'clock. So I'm going to get in like at 11, 1130, something like that. Everything's going to be fine. Right. It's not going to be a big deal. I can Uber to the hotel, check in. It's a chill day. It's a good day. Right. Just hanging out. So what happens? So I noticed that they just installed clear at the Ontario airport, which again, I had paid for because I don't like waiting, Dennis. <laughs> so right. I, I love I'm, clear. I do. Yeah. So I'm stoked, right? I'm like, oh, there's clear. Let me walk up. Let, let me, let me show my eyeballs and I'm going to go right to the front of this right. line. This is going to be outstanding. I go to the front of the line and there's the clear guy and you know, they, they scan my eyeballs and okay, put your boarding pass on there. You know, so I take my phone and I put it down. Boop, boop. He's like wrong airport. 
I look at it. I look at it. I go, oh, oh I must no. have given you my flight back for tomorrow. I must have picked the wrong boarding pass because I already had the boarding pass because I was coming home Saturday night. So I already had the boarding right. pass from San Jose back home. So I was, oh, hold on. Let me let me pull this thing back up again. All right, pull it back up again. Check the eyes again. Put the phone down. Boop, boop. Wrong airport. I look at it. Now when I look at it this time, plain as day, do I see SNA to San Jose. Oh. <laughs> I'm, flying, I'm flying out of Orange County, right? I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And the plane's oh, leaving. Oh, no, 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 no. There's more to the story. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the punchline, but there's obviously more to this. So the, uh, I'm like, okay, well, I'm screwed. There's no way I'm making it to uh, Orange County because the plane leaves in like 45 minutes at this point, and I'm not, right. you know, it's exactly. not going to work. So I go to the counter, and I say, hey, you know, uh, you know I messed up. I need, you know, is, when's the next flight out of here going to San Jose? The guy's like, 1230. Okay, what time, so what time does that get in? He's like, 145. And I'm thinking, okay, 145. I can, I, I mean, I have one bag, Dennis. I'm just going to get off the plane in San Jose and I'm going to go boom, right, right into the Uber. I'm going to make it to the arena. Everything's going to be fine. Well, and then I said to the guy, I go, I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask the question. Um, I don't happen to keep my A11 uh, uh, boarding pass number as, you know, as, for this new flight here, do I? And the guy just laughs and he's like, no, sir, I'm sorry. And as he hands me the boarding pass, I look and it's C5. So I said, oh, this is great. I just went from front of the line VIP. I'm going to be there with two hours to kill. My day is going to be awesome. My day is now getting worse, right? So I'm C5. So I now have like three hours to kill at the airport or whatever it was. And uh, so, you know, I ate some $25 turkey club sandwich that was terrible. <laughs> waited and waited and waited. I, I was on my phone and, and, and now I have to charge my phone because I'm, you know, bleeding the battery down as I'm killing time. So I'm sitting in the, uh, the, the wait area, whatever. You, I don't know what you call it, but the area, you know, right there by the gate where everybody's kind yeah, of sitting. Mm-hmm. And I, okay, the gate area. And I, I don't know when this started exactly, Dennis. I know that cell phones and people using cell phones in public areas, it's kind of been a problem for many years now. But when this started, that people think that it's okay to have extended conversations on their phone, that's the part I don't understand. Like, you answer the phone real quick. You're like, yeah, I'll be there. And you hang up. Okay, I'll deal with it, right? Yeah. This guy is sitting. It had to be eight or nine seats away from me, okay? And I heard every single thing in his conversation. The guy should just record a podcast so that everybody could hear. He, I heard the whole conversation. And, Dennis, this thing goes on for like 45 minutes. And oh, it's the most boy, mon- boy, it's boy, not boy. even an exciting conversation. And I'm, here's the part that's killing me, though. I'm looking around at, like, all the other people. And, you know, you're having, like, this outer body experience. We're like, am I the only one that is bothered by this or that knows what's going on and i'm looking at everybody and you know normally when you look around the crowd you see like people that are kind of disgusted and they're they're mumbling under their breath and shaking their head you know or or giving him dagger eyes like nobody is phased by this the loudest talker in the world for 45 minutes so finally i just i just had to deal with it right and so finally i uh, we get on the plane and uh, or you know the a group goes you know okay fine the b group goes c group Dennis, I was the yeah. last person. C5 on this particular flight was the last person uh, on the plane. So, yeah. So, so like, I closed the show, right? They closed the door behind me. I'm the, I was going, I was from A11, you know, Mr. VIP, yeah. cool guy. Exactly. <laughs> I'm now the last guy. Oh, by the way, the plane was delayed. I forgot to throw that into the plane ended up being delayed oh. another, another 30 Beautiful. or 45 minutes. Oh. I missed the whole first period of the, the, the Kings game. Thankfully, the staff right. at Mayor's Manor was available and they were tweeting out the photos and tweeting out the lineups and doing all their stuff. Uh, I eventually get to the game and 
Shaft, the uh, the PR guy from the rain, made me feel a little better. He's like, hey, man, don't worry about it. You still get you know, 10, 10 periods of hockey or whatever he said. So, yeah, so the games are great. Uh, ended up, uh, we're going to go to the Dodger game that night. So after the Kings game, just to continue my travel stories of planes, trains, and automobiles, um, Kings game's over. Get the quotes, everything else. Okay, we're going to go to the Dodger game. Uh, there's a bullet train. Now, I, I'm just, I, I'm done traveling for the day. But they're like, no, don't worry about it. It's going to be great. Mayor, you just, uh, it's a bullet train. It's, it's one hour. It's nonstop. It takes you right from San Jose into, into San Francisco. I can do that, right? Three Uber drivers, Dennis. Three Uber drivers canceled the trip. Uh, and we only have like 10 minutes to get to the thing, to, 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 to the train station to make the thing. Three Uber drivers cancel. Start sweating bullets now. We're not going to make the, uh, we'd already bought the tickets on StubHub, right? So now we're not going to be able to get the, uh, uh, we're not going to take the bullet train. I'm going to be frustrated. So the finally, the next Uber driver, he finally shows up, and we're like, okay, we're on the train station. You know, and the guy's like, when's your train leaving? <laughs> Six minutes. The guy's like, oh, no problem. And I thought he was being sarcastic. No, he was not. This guy drove on two wheels the entire way to the train station, Dennis. And it was like it was like a movie. He like pitches the car sideways, like right in front. He's like, get out, go to the first thing on the left. So like we're running to the thing. We pay, we buy the pass, we get on the train. Kind of the same thing as what happened with the airline. Um, We get on the train and like the doors close behind us and like, boom, okay, we're off. We get the bullet train. We go to, we go to uh, uh, the game. Um, There wasn't the smell of garlic fries. So that was good. Uh, It was great. Dodgers were amazing. Dustin May pitches a no hitter through five innings. And then Dave Roberts goes Dave Roberts and you know, the rest is history, whatever. Um, but then here's what they didn't tell me, Dennis. This is this is why, because I know that you would never do this to me. You know certain things, right, that I'm not going to like. I don't like waiting. I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. No. So they scammed me, okay? They told me to take that we have the bullet train to get there. So I'm thinking like, oh, right. okay, this is no big deal. We're going to get back on the bullet train, and we're going to end up back in San Jose. We'll be home in an hour. Good to go. No, 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 no. There's no bullet train at the end of the night. So we're getting on the slow train from hell, Dennis. This train takes like what felt like two hours. It moves like 30 miles an hour uh, as it takes you through what felt like a hundred different stops. I don't know what all these cities are. Like, I think we did a loop through Fremont and Half Moon Bay and Vacaville. We might have even stopped in Stockton and dropped off Nate Diaz. I don't know, Dennis, (laughs) but two or three hours later, eventually we end up back in San Jose uh, and then, of course, had to get the wow. order, you know, back home and everything. So uh, it was, it was, it was a pretty hellacious travel day, uh, but a lot of fun nonetheless. It was, a, it was a good Friday to to kick things off. That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> so I'm actually going up next uh, Saturday. I'll be the first preseason game in San Jose. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Southwest. When we fly to San Jose this weekend, uh, we're going to do United, stay by the airport, uh, and then drive down from San Francisco. We're going to be visiting the grandkids in San Francisco. And then, so we'll make the drive down to San Jose for the game. I'm uh, interested to see who plays in that game, John. So, but uh, uh, yeah, traveling. I, I caught a lot of breaks, John, during the. I'm waiting for the the travel karma to come back to me, because <laughs> uh, during the Cup final and going to Montreal, no cancellations, nothing hit everything. It was it was really really good. This flight's a short flight, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, that's a great travel story, and I agree with you on clear. I don't like waiting either, John, and that's. Clear's been a that's been a, a saver a couple of times for me with trips of getting on planes and, and stuff like that. Uh, and I know we have Todd McClellan waiting on the other side of the uh, the break here, so we'll bring him in in a moment. But I do want to share one other 
a quick story with you that relates to you about the NHL rookie tournament. And then we can talk more about the actual games and the performance of some of the players. But uh, so I'm standing there with Luke on, uh, of course, Luke Robitaille is, is the Luke. I'm with Luke uh, on what was it? Game two. And Luke's uh, turns and he kind of looks both sides, both directions. He's like, Hey, is Dennis here too? And I just start laughing. And I was like, you know, come on, man, is Dennis here? And he's like, I knew he wouldn't be here. I just had to ask you. And I said, no. And I said, so he said, before I could even say, but he's coming in town next weekend for the preseason game. Before I could say that, he's like, here's what we're going to do, Mayor. We're going to do the next interview. Uh, it's going to be just you and me on the podcast without Bernstein. And he starts cracking up laughing. So um, apparently Luke and I are going to have to do an interview without you until you get back into his good graces for uh, not coming to the rookie tournament. Well, you know, I, I've got a message for Luke on this podcast. Um, <laughs> okay. There, okay. Hey, Luke, so you want to like, box me out? Well, the LA Times <laughs> doesn't have a beat writer covering the team. And last time I checked, the Athletic is, in, is, is splitting Eric Stevens between L.A. and Anaheim. So you want me to do stuff. You, you want okay. to include me because there's just a few of us left that are full-time covering this team. This yes. Okay. The well, then the then I'll period. get that message to Luke, and we'll see if maybe you're allowed to come on for one question when, when Luke no. comes on. Or just get into his good graces, Dennis. And the only way to do that, though, would or not the only way, but – Perhaps the wrong way to do it would be don't make a food recommendation because that's burned you with that steak thing that you did with oh, yes. Foxy. No, so no, no. so come up with something a different way to get back in Luke's good grace. Maybe you can chirp him when you're uh, up in San Jose at the preseason game. No, yeah, I, I definitely will when I see him. <laughs> okay, so there you go. Uh, coming up on the other side of the break, we'll see what kind of chirps we can get out of Todd McClellan. Uh, we have the coach of the LA Kings waiting for us on the other side of the break. We'll be back in just a minute. Okay, Kings of the Podcast, second period. And for, I think this is the third season in a row that uh, coming into the season, we've uh, brought on Todd McCullen to talk about all things LA Kings as he gets ready for training camp in the upcoming season. Todd, welcome back to Kings of the Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited about joining you and looking forward to the season. Well, we'll see how excited you are as we get through these questions here. Uh, I'm not going to waste any more time. De Dennis has been dying to ask you this question all summer. So uh, have at it, DB. Kick it off. Coach, how much over the summer, when you go back and think about last season, do you think about Game 7 in Edmonton? 
Well, I think when we review, we look at the season as a whole. So uh, game seven certainly is the pinnacle, but we've got to look at how we got there, why we got there, what went wrong and right for 82 games, and then the playoffs itself. And naturally, we want to talk about game seven. But um, uh, I go all the way back to the beginning. We started at, I, I think, one, five, and one in the first seven games with a lot of injuries. And the ability for our team to overcome those injuries was uh, really important. It led us to the playoffs throughout the season. Um, I think that was our holy shit moment, if you will. Um, and uh, when we lost Dowdy and Walker, we overcame that early and we were overcome. We, pardon me, we were able to overcome the, uh, the other injuries throughout the season. Playoffs itself was uh, a great reward for the players. The fact that we got to game seven, I think in a lot of people's minds was a, a bonus. Uh, it wasn't in ours. We, we believed we could win that series. We believed we could beat them and it was bittersweet. Uh, the fact that we got there uh, was great, but we lost, and that wasn't what we set out to do. So um, it leads us to this season, and I think if you remember, my, my, my final press conference, if you will, in Edmonton was pretty direct. It was about setting up this season already. We'll right. have a, a tough time. It'll be a tough season. Expectations will be high, and we'll want more from every single player in the lineup, not just the young players, but the old players, the coaching staff, uh, management, scouts. Everybody has to dig in and give a little bit more, and I think that's where we're at at this point. Uh, clean slate. We start all over, and we're excited about the start of the season. Todd, I remember talking uh, line combinations with you at various times last year, but on the podcast, I think last year, one of the things that you said that caught my attention was, you know, that as a coach, no matter where you are, you get out that napkin and you're just writing down line combinations, trying to figure out how to put things together. So let's look forward here. Uh, looks like Victor Arvidsson will be skating in camp, but uh, won't be available to start the season. So what, what are you doing line combination wise? What do you start thinking about uh, without having 33 in there? Well, it's certainly tough. Um, you know, uh, our, our injured players, and we're talking about Victor, but we've also got Jersey, Dowdy, Walker. Um, those were the primary guys that didn't finish in our lineup. Um, Walker, Dowdy, we expect to be 100% healthy. Um, obviously, uh, Walker will need a little bit of time to find his game and get some confidence in his knee. Uh, Dowdy should be fine, and, and we're looking forward to a big, for, uh, big year there, pardon me. Um, Dursey should be fine a little bit later on in camp. Victor is the one guy, and, and, and you pointed him out, that may be a little late to start the season. Um, although he's having a really good recovery time since he's been back here in L.A., his skating load and, um, and workload is getting greater every day. Um, I don't think it'll be a long period after the season starts before we see him. So what do we do in the interim? I think that's the question you're asking. Um, at training camp, uh, you'll see a variety of different players playing with more and Dano. Uh, it could be somebody as young as Sammy Fagamo. Uh, it could be somebody like uh, Gabe Velarde or Artie Kaleev going up into that spot. But ultimately, we're looking at where the team will shake out at the end. When Arby's back and assuming he's 100% and able to play in the way he can, what will our team look like? 
Uh, we'll set lines up like that to begin with, but exhibition season, we'll experiment with just about everything. Coach, uh, on Kevin Fiala, when I look at his numbers last season, I focus less on the 33 goals and more on the 52 assists because I, I think the more acute need for your offense is a, is a playmaker, not necessarily a, a goal scorer. Of course, you always need goal scoring, but your thoughts about Fiala as a playmaker and his ability to, to set his teammates up like he did last season in Minnesota. Well, I, I, I agree with you and disagree with you. I think anytime you score in the thirties, you're a goal scorer. Um, it just so happens he was, he had the ability to produce uh, in the 50-some assist area, and we think of him as playmaker. I think this guy's a two-tool two player when it comes to stats and what we record, um, analytics, whether it's goals and assists. Uh, Kevin has the ability to, to score. He naturally finishes on a lot of his opportunities. Um, yes, he did create uh, a lot of assists, whether they were primary or secondary, he was in on a lot of goals. And we expect all of that from him here this year. Um, I, I, we envision him starting with Kofi and, and Kempe on the line. Um, I think their tool set complement each other. Uh, Kofi being who he is, responsible defensively, good in the face-off circle, more a playmaker than a shooter. Uh, but probably for the first time in his career, he's got a shooter on both sides. He's got Kempe on the left and, mm -hmm. and uh, Fiala on the right or vice versa. They can play the off wings and they're off sides. Um, I think that's exciting for all three players and certainly for our team. Now behind the bench, a uh, pretty big addition with Jim Hiller. And uh, one of the things we love here on Kings of the podcast are the behind the scenes stories. So can, can you just give the, Give a little flavor there. There's like a family connection, three degrees of separation. You guys are sort of cut from the same uh, coaching tree, you know, different branches, et cetera. But uh, how did all that come together? And, and, and why is Jim Hiller and the addition of Jim Hiller going to be a, a hopefully uh, a, a major addition for the Kings this season? Well, he, like anybody we add to our team, we think is a really important piece. And, um, I, and I think the first thing I need to talk about is the fact that Marcus Sturm won't be with our team, but he'll play maybe the most important role in our organization in the fact that he's going to run the minor league development. Um, he'll be with the Ontario Reign head coach. Um, I think he's got a really, really bright future as a NHL head coach uh, down the road. He's going to gain some experience. But while he's doing that, we needed uh, a replacement. And Jim Hiller was the guy we obviously chose. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. One, experience. Um, he's coached and played uh, the game for a long, long time. He's been around some really good teams and players. Um, he's had an impact on the power play in every organization he's joined. And he's going to bring a, a fresh approach to our team. Um, what I've noticed from him is, is when we look at video, we talk about players, there's no pre preconceived uh, notion from his perspective he he basically tells it like he sees it and I think that's really refreshing four years into our coaching staff um, I think he's going to be a real good uh, addition to our staff um, what I have to tell you and the, and the rest of the world is that when we sit down as a staff we're all responsible for our team play we're all responsible for the power play and the penalty kill uh, if it goes good, if it goes bad, we all 
have a bite in that. We all accept some responsibility there. And um, uh, he'll need some time to adapt to the power play, to change things. Uh, but that's his primary role, and we're excited about having him. Coach, um, it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't talk. have one question about the kids. So I'll ask a question about the kids. Uh, how much of the success this coming season is leverage on the progression of guys like Kaliev and Byfield from an offensive standpoint to make more contributions because coach this season, you're not going to sneak up on anybody, right? You're an 99 point team. You made the playoffs. You pushed Edmonton seven. So how much of the season revolves around the progression from your younger players? Well, um, I, I think that's a, a really interesting question. Um, you make a really good point. Uh, but the very first thing that has to happen is the non-kids, and I don't know where we cut that off. Uh, what's, what's the defining um, age group or experience level of kids, but the non-kids have to maintain or elevate their level of play. That's the first thing I'll say. So if you want to talk about Ante Kopitar and Drew Doughty returning, if they dip or if they give something back, that's a big load for anybody to handle. So they have to at least maintain their level of play. Uh, then we work down to that level of kid. Um, tough definition to that name, but if you talk about uh, Kaleev and Byfield and Bjornfoot and, and whoever else may be in the lineup as, as relatively newcomers, uh, yeah, they have to graduate. They have to take a step up. They have to take more on. Uh, but that's what 32 other teams in the league are thinking. And it puts a little bit of pressure on those individuals, but they're capable of doing it. We believe in them. And for us to have an impact, those two things have to happen. The, the non-kids have to play at the highest level they possibly can play at without giving anything back. And the kids have to take a step. And that's called progress. And I expect that to happen in our organization. Um, we've been waiting a lot on, on a lot of them. And they're certainly capable of doing it. So um, as the year goes on, I think these players are going to have an impact and they're going to take more on as we go. I'm curious, you know, speaking of kids, uh, we were up in San Jose earlier this weekend, uh, two games so far through the NHL rookie faceoff tournament. And I'm just curious, as you're sitting there and you're watching, are, are you more looking at a Quinton Byfield? Are you more looking at a Brant Clark? I mean, to me, those are the two players that come to mind because they're the two that would be on your radar the soonest, right? Like, uh, it's fun to watch a Chromiak or somebody else, uh, but, you know, they're a couple years away, most likely, from cracking the LA Kings lineup. You know what you have in Quentin Byfield or what you had last year. Are you, are you watching him and or are you watching a kid like Brant Clark? You know, does he have a realistic shot at making the Kings? What are you looking at when you're at the tournament? I think you're dead on. I think you're very accurate, uh, although you're missing one player, and that would be Spence. Yeah. Um, I think those three players, uh, amongst others, you never know. There's surprises when they come and play with the veteran players and get through uh, real NHL exhibition games. But let's face it, those three players are the focus for us as a coaching staff. We watched two games over the weekend, uh, six periods of hockey. There wasn't much more to evaluate. Uh, I will say there were others that stood out and played really well, but our focus was on those three. And they all had an impact differently in each of the two games that we got to see. Uh, I'll start with Quinton. Um, we were looking for him to command 
the game. Not necessarily point produced, but is he big, strong? Does he carry the puck? Does he does he look like he's in control of his shift? And he showed every bit of that. And that was a really positive sign for us as, as a team. Uh, I thought Spence did the exact same thing. Um, so those are two boxes that we checked in the first two games. Obviously, we're not going to see the third. I'm back in Los Angeles now. Uh, but the third guy we talked about was um, obviously our first round pick in Brent Clark. And this guy's a special player. Um, he had an impact in the two games. Uh, great vision, great playmaking, a lot of courage to make plays as a young player. Um, I think we'll have to watch him closely in, in many exhibition games, not just one or two. And then the important decision will, will come into what's best for his development. And, and I know a lot of people are going to say, well, if he goes back to junior, is it the best thing for him? He's done everything he can there. Um, we've proven that we have a lot of good defensemen in our organization. He's got to be able to play in the top five minimum. He's got to be able to run a power play. He's got to be able to have an impact both offensively and defensively night after night for his individual development and what's good for the Kings. And this next month, month and a half, will dictate where he goes. And he's in complete control of it. Um, obviously, if he wins a spot and he can play in that, those positions, we'll keep him. Um, if we think that he, we can't give him what he needs to develop, um, he'll have to go back and develop for one more year. But he is a, a very gifted player. Uh, we're excited about having him, and uh, we'll see where it all goes. Let me ask you a quick follow-up there. Uh, for anybody who watched the games or even just followed along on social media, I think that, you know, anybody would get the hype on Brant Clark, uh, and especially coming off of the, the big shootout win there the other night. But, you know, he made some pretty electric plays. You talked earlier, though, about what you wanted to see from Quentin Byfield. And while we didn't get to see the big point production i'm just curious did you sort of sit up a little bit in your seat when he made that big power move late in the third period there because he kind of seemed to take over the game uh in the third period especially down late in that first game and that one power move really seemed to catch uh, a lot of people's attention well and and that's exactly what we're talking about it's a it's a really good observation on your behalf but when when we left los angeles to go to watch the rookie tournament we knew who we, the, the coaching staff, knew who the top players were expected to be from each organization. You can look at draft and, and the hype behind them. And we basically said to ourselves, we expect you to be in the top five players at this, at this tournament. Now, granted, he only played a game, didn't score any points, but I thought he had a presence that was maybe different than some other players. Mm-hmm. And that's all we're looking at. It, it's called growing up. It's called maturing. Um, you know, there's some really good players, whether they're in our organization or others that are there. A year from now, they'll command that presence. They'll be the go-to guys. And they may not produce points. They may in one or two games in the rookie tournament. But I think Quentin checked the box when it came to that. Now he's got to carry on. He's going to play a game tomorrow. Uh, can he do that again? He's going to come back to training camp. Can he do it again? Can he take it from training camp to that first exhibition game? Can he take it from exhibition game one to six? Can he take it to game one through 10 in, in regular season? 
he didn't have that last year. He had to come in at game 40, and the, the league is strong at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think his progression is going to be fine. And if 60 minutes of hockey as a team and call it 15 to 18 minutes of Quinton Byfield hockey is any indication, I think he can. But it's about graduating. It's about moving forward day after day. And I think his whole experience now uh, if he's taking it in right, will allow him to get better day after day after day, and we're, we're excited about that. Of course, one one of the interactions I enjoyed with you last season was asking who's the starting goalie almost every night, and you never wanted to tell us. So, um, so it's a question on Jonathan Quick. Okay, if we look back at last season, he started more than half game uh, half the games. Uh, down the stretch, he was your guy. He started all the playoff games, but he'll be 37 in January. He's in the final season of his contract. So my question is, what do you need from Cal Peterson this season, not Jonathan Quick? Well, I'll preface the answer by saying the organization, the coaching staff, and, and maybe even teammates, we really don't care who plays. And that may, that might sound strange, uh, but we need at least one goaltender. We need 60 and 12 forwards to play every night and contribute. And whether you're drafted first overall, whether you've won a con smite, whether you uh, are paid a certain amount of money, it really doesn't matter at the end of the night. It's who can give us the best opportunity to win. And at the end of the season last year, we believe Jonathan Quick could give us that best opportunity. We hope going forward that the competition between Quickie and Cal Peterson will continue. Uh, but for our team to succeed three, four, five years out, Cal's going to have to step up and, and, and grab that. Uh, the great thing that we have in our organization that Quickie's not allowing it. He's competing every year, or pardon me, every day. He's showing up and he's saying, play me. And there's no better thing for goaltending than having two goaltenders that respect each other, that the team appreciates, but they compete day in and day out. And the staff or the organization rewarding the one that's playing the best. Um, obviously, we hope quick he can play until he's 55. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> We're only worried about games 1 through 20 with both of them. And I think they'll sort themselves out. But I can tell you, based on preseason, I think we have a really focused Cal Peterson. He's determined to prove that he belongs in that upper echelon of uh, young goaltenders, 27, 28, not very young. Uh, But we also have a veteran goaltender that doesn't want to give up the crease. And I don't think there's a team in the league that would say, hey, we don't want that in our organization. So who's going to play? How many games? I can't tell you the answer. They'll dictate it. Okay, so we're not going to get the uh, opening night starting goalie out of you on this podcast. That's uh... No, and I know you guys are going to ask me 400 times before we play. <laughs> we'll try to only ask 300. Um, let, yeah. me, let, me, let me set this next question up the right way. I want to talk about or have you talk about the loss of Dustin Brown, him not being part of the team. But it's not really about Dustin Brown uh, because – you know, we, we could do a whole program on Dustin Brown. And as we get closer to his Jersey retirement, we'll talk a lot about Dustin Brown. The part of my question, though, is really more about how do you solve that that vacuum uh, within the room, 
the loss of the leadership, the loss of the experience. And, you know, from what we understand, Phil Deneau is going to wear the A and that's, that's part of it. But when you turn the page and when you look forward to what this team is, is becoming, uh, how do how do you make that adjustment with the, with the absence of somebody of, of his stature? Well, I'm glad that you asked your question the way you did, because let's face it, when you get 20, 21, 22 years into your career, and I saw it with Steve Eiserman and, and some others in Detroit and even certain individuals in, in San Jose, Edmonton, your game isn't the same as when you're a fresh kid. Um, and Brownie, Brownie's game probably wasn't where he wanted it to be as far as production and, and play and all that type of stuff in game 40. But as it got to game 70 and 80 and 83, 84, obviously playoffs, he was so important to our team. He took, um, he brought back the old school. He brought back what it meant to play in the playoffs. He was a rallying point and we will dearly miss him. Um, it's a long season at 30, whatever years old, 36, 37 years old. It's tough to play every night and grind it out. And we've become way more critical of that individual. But what he brings behind the scenes is often not talked about. It's forgotten. We evaluate him on goals and assists, which is wrong. Um, he was incredible down the stretch. And we will miss him. We won't replace him. Um, it will be a committee uh, of individuals. They may score more goals. They may get more assists than what Dustin did. But it's all the little things that he did in the locker room, pulling individuals aside, uh, rallying the team. Um, his his sense of humor even in the locker room was valuable. We, we will miss that. And we don't plan to replace it. We just hope it evolves with some of the individuals that we have in the locker room. You know, Coach, it seems like uh, yesterday when you signed your contract here, reportedly five years in April of 2019, and you came in with a mission to turn the franchise around, establish process, put in a system, and have this franchise start winning. You've done all that. So with the fact that the, the end of the contract is on the horizon, has there been any talk of an extension with, with Rob Blake? No, you <laughs> You know what, 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 what you do by asking that question, you take what's important and turn it into an individual that, that does matter. A coach matters, but it's, it's not important. I, I'm a coach for a long time. I have an outstanding relationship with Luke and, and Rob and the rest of the staff. Um, I couldn't be happier being where I am. Um, I'm way more worried about what we're doing. We're talking on Sunday night, Monday morning, and, and training camp hasn't even started. So I'm not even thinking about myself or, or an extension or anything like that. Um, if my contract runs out, I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. I've, I've coached for a long time. What I'm looking forward to is the, this year, uh, month by month, uh, potentially next year, month by month, and then we'll see where it goes. But it, it has nothing to do with me. It's all about the team and the players and and what we, the, the coaching staff, can do to help them. Um, so, um, no, I'm, I haven't even thought about it. We haven't talked about it. It's not important to me. 
Well, it, it, I'll just want to follow up with one thing. It, it's it's not about the individual, but Todd, would you like to win the Jack Adams Award as the head coach of the LA Kings? Nope. I'd like to win the Stanley <laughs> no. Cup as the LA Kings. Okay. 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 Fair enough. And Drew, Drew Gowdy and Auntie Kopitar and Jonathan Quick, who have all been here for forever, would tell you they would give up any individual trophy to win the Stanley Cup. And we're no different. It's it's really simple when it comes down to that. Todd, you also told me not to pick you last year for uh, the Jack Adams Award because you reminded me that uh, soon after being nominated previously, you were you were fired. So I thought that's the story you were going to tell. So uh, I, w- I won't predict you to, to win the Jack Adams this year. I probably won't predict you to win the Stanley Cup either. But uh, if you prove me wrong, that's OK. Here's what we're going to go. Thank out- you. Here's <laughs> here's what we're going to go out with today. This is the last question, Todd. Uh, you're talking about focus. Uh, you're not going to tell us who the starting goaltender is. You're not going to tell us what the line combinations are going to be. But how about this one? Opening night, it's coming up here in less than a month. Give us a preview of your speech. What do you say to the team to get them ready for the 2022-2023 season? What's what's the speech? Give us some bullet points. Well, if I or we, and I mean the coaching staff and management team development, have done our job through training camp, it's pretty simple. Rely on your instinct, play hard, let's go get them. And, and, and it's as simple as that. If you ask me about game two, um, that would be the important one because we don't know what will happen in game one. Just just reflect back and think about the, the first game we played against Vegas last year. There there was basically nothing we could hold against the players or 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 you know, there there really wasn't much much negative in that game. Yeah, that was but a fun, that was a fun two, game, Todd. That was a very fun yeah. game. <laughs> but remember, we went. I think we went one five and one, or one yes. four and one, or something. Whatever it was. So the real test was after game two, three, and four. And game one, you know, every league, every team of the league should be wound up. And sometimes teams are overwound. Uh, sometimes teams are overexcited, and it just doesn't work for them. And that could be us this year. I hope it isn't. Uh, last year really worked for us. We were we were focused. Training camp um, paid off, but two, three, four, five, we kind of gave back. We were undisciplined in Dallas. I remember taking a whole bunch of penalties. We uh, we couldn't penalty kill in in Nashville in game two. Um, game one is a really, you know what? Throw it out the window. Whatever happens, uh, positive or negative. It's not going to dictate the season. Games two through 20 will give you a way better indication. So I dodged your question. <laughs> and um, next year, if we're talking again at this time, you'll ask me about game two. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, this year, I, I think instead of just getting you in the post-game scrums or after practice, we're going to have to bring you on sort of mid-season uh, and get an update. Maybe not after game 20, maybe like game 30 or game 40 and uh, get into it. Because it's a lot more fun to have you on the podcast than it is just to try to squeeze a couple of comments from you after a game. Because let's be honest, you don't want to talk to the media after the game. So we'd rather have you on the podcast. No, you're 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 right in a way. If if things are going, it's human nature. If things are going well, you love to tell the story and and boast about your students and how well they're doing. And if the students are failing or the coaches or teachers are failing, you you really don't want to spend time with the media. But that's that's human nature. That's the way it is. But um, 
you guys keep telling me you're going to buy me dinner and take me out for a glass of wine, uh, wait, we can wait, do that wait, at game wait. 30 or 40. <laughs> wait. No, the deal was that you wanted to buy us dinner and get to know us. That was the opening press conference when you landed well, in L.A. So now we have something to talk about or argue about. <laughs> okay. I, I thought it was the other way around, but okay. we'll let the fans decide that. But we'll in, fairness, in, in fairness, Todd only had like one – as I can remember, one thirty-five second uh, post game. Everything yes. is it's usually five, six, seven minutes, whatever. But it was only I, I forget the night. It was about midseason, and Todd just walked in and said, "Like you saw it, like that's it. I'm out. Thanks." And he was down to like the one ten after that. <laughs> you know what? You know what's interesting, guys, and and for the fans that are watching, like uh, when you're as bad as you were probably that night, and I think I can remember the game. What do you want me to say? <laughs> I, I can, I can stand up there and lie and try and put earrings on a pig, but we were bad. And what do you want me to say? <laughs> nothing. That was nothing yeah, was, at all, really. So it was great. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Todd, we'll let you run. We appreciate your yeah. time. Thank you as always. Uh, fine. Thanks, we will, we will gladly buy you dinner this year. If that's what it's going to take to get you back on the podcast, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll twist your arm and we'll do it. Thank you so much. Enjoy training camp and uh, have, have everybody buzzing for game two. We'll, we're now moving on past game one. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, there you go. Todd McClellan. We'll be back after the break to talk more LA Kings hockey. To the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. All right, third period. Dennis Bernstein, we are back. Uh, thank you to Todd McClellan for joining us. Always appreciate an extended yep. chat with the coach. Um, why don't we? Why don't we do this, Dennis? Why don't we go off script here a little bit? We had some other stuff to cover in the third period, but I thought that Todd gave some pretty interesting answers, and and I thought maybe the two of us could react to it. Um, his, we'll go sort of in order. The first question there was about the loss to Edmonton, and I agree with one thing that he said, Dennis. They could have beaten Edmonton. And not only that, they should have beaten the Oilers. We've already covered this to death, so we don't, I don't want to go on a 20-minute a rant about them. But game six, mm-hmm. they should have won that game. Yeah. Uh, and I loved the fact, though, that he referenced the, the immediate press conference because that press conference after the loss did stick with me. That was like the, hey, it's great. We were here. We made it to the playoffs. But the real work begins tomorrow. That press conference stuck with me, and it seems like it was – not just sort of an off the cuff thing. It still is sitting with him because he brought it up now somewhat three, four months later. Yeah. And if maybe the better question would have been, John, if he thinks about that series, does he think more about game six or game seven? Cause game seven, you know, they got shut out. Connor played 27 minutes. That was just an, an epic performance by a player uh, as opposed to game six that, you know, really got away from him, right? Two, two in the third. You go and win that game, you go on to the next round. So I think that in retrospect, maybe it's, maybe if he's thinking about any of those games right now, it, it might be, as you say, more game six than game seven. 
Well, he gave some praise to Jordan Spence also, and that was interesting because I think if he would have played Spence in game six and they would have had a second, you know, sort of power play unit that they probably had a better chance of winning that game. Uh, but anyway, uh, line combinations, he kind of told us what we already know, right, or confirmed right. what we thought. I mean, any way you want to word it, right, which is that Fiala is going to be up top with Kopitar and Kempe. Sure. That second line is going to be a patchwork team, uh, patchwork line, excuse me, throughout camp. So you're going to have more uh, with Philippe Deneau, and then you're going to try to figure out who else to put in that group. Uh, that's funny or interesting, I should say, that he mentioned Sammy Fagamo because by all yeah. rights, there's not a roster spot for Fagamo that, that you know, even with Ardvidsson out injured because they already, they already were at 14 forwards plus the Leas Anderson contract plus Nate Thompson, who we haven't even talked about yet, coming in on a PTO. So the math just doesn't... Uh, it doesn't work in Fagamo's favor, but if you're going to play him a little bit, you're going to get a look at it. That that's intriguing. I don't know how you make all of that work, but uh, did you take anything there away from his, his comments about the line combinations? Well, with respect to Sammy specifically, remember when the NHL did this rookie showcase, I think it was in New York a couple weeks back. Fagamo oh, was the upper, there. The upper, well, the yeah. upper deck thing. So yeah, they, they, the Kings and you know, most other teams, they send two players to that upper deck thing every year. Yeah. And it is a little bit of a tip of the hand of who they uh, expect to make the NHL at some point this year. And I would expect that. I would expect that Fagamo is going right. to get NHL games this year, just probably not out of camp, unless there's mm -hmm. another injury that we're not aware of. And right, um, right, right. It doesn't Agreed. seem that there is because he even went into the, uh, the Sean Dursey injury, which was the shoulder cleanup, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And, but Dursey's been back skating and, and should be good to go. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that that was uh that was going to be an issue. I think I follow also had a, his shoulder cleaned up, but he didn't, he didn't say yep. anything about that. So um, we'll have to see where it all goes. Uh, anything about his reaction to your question about uh, Kevin Fiala and uh, you know, a playmaker versus a goal scorer. Any thoughts there? No. Well, you need 33 goals to enter the lineup as well. Right. And you get it for not, not taking a roster player off. It just, to me, I think that that's, when I look at that player, yeah, he'll finish, but he'll help others finish. And I think that's what this team needs. So that was kind of my point. But I, I, I get what Todd's saying. It's They're both important. That's why you get an 85-point player. Hey, if Fiala and Kopitar together can be uh, can protect Kempe from any sort of regression, Todd didn't use the word regression, but he, he certainly <clears throat> um, referenced the idea of regression, right, and, and sure. that sort of thing. So if it's going to take two guys this year to make sure that Kempe doesn't have too much regression. You need Kempe scoring 30 goals uh, for this team to go very far in the, in the regular season over 82 games. Uh, Jim Hiller, look, he really tried to wear that one and, uh, and said, look, it's, it's a coaching thing, right? He, he was, mm -hmm. he was saying it without saying it like, Hey, everybody, the power play problems last year, don't rest solely at the doorstep of Marco Sturm. He praised Marco uh, and is looking right. forward to him yeah. running, running things in Ontario. I mean, maybe overpraised him by saying that he's, playing one of the most, I think he said the most important role, um, you know, in the Kings organization. I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that uh, because in, you know, three, four years ago, I might've agreed with it because the, the, the pipeline was trying to mm -hmm. get these players ready right. to play in the NHL, but this roster is pretty full. Like I just said, so it's not, I mean, I guess long-term Sturm is playing an important role, but I don't necessarily agree that this year he's going to have a tremendous impact because he's not going to produce a lot of NHL players. Even Brant Clark isn't going to be, mm -hmm. be in the American right. League, right? So right. 
Hell, if anything, whoever the coach is of the Barry Colts, he might be the most important person uh, in the LA Kings organization who's right. not on the payroll because if Brent Clark ends up back in the OHL, you're going to need to worry about him developing that player for yeah. next season because if Clark doesn't make it this year, he's definitely uh, you know going to be going to be pro next year. Um, any thoughts about what he said about uh, Quentin Byfield and, and sort of the tournament uh, and his play and that sort of thing? I know you're you're curious to see the development of Byfield and if he can raise the level of performance this year statistically. Well, I think it's, again, a situation where they're not trying to put too much pressure on the kid by saying, oh, well, he doesn't need to score, but he needs to command the game. Like, I don't know. He needs to score more than five goals, John. I mean, it's, just, it's time, right? Because the guy drafted just behind him scored 27 and signed a, a long-term deal for $8 million per It's time. And I'm not saying Quentin Byfield's got to score 27. But, again, it's a situation. I have no problem with him, Todd, saying that. But yes, and you do have to command the game. But if you're going to command the game at the on the third line, how much of command is going to be? It's going to be 15 minutes a night. So I, I definitely want to see from some progression, and I want to see if if already, you know, the Wardy hit a wall last year, right? Halfway through the season, he wasn't productive from a goal scoring standpoint. Second half of the season, but again, these kids are so young. So it was interesting the way Todd kind of couched that response about Q, because again, they don't want to put too much pressure on this guy. But to be honest. If Kopitar and Deneau do their jobs, he should have it not easy, but there, should be a, there shouldn't be that pressure. And he should be fa- facing lesser players to get more scoring opportunities. So I'm really eager to see how his numbers are, even though the Kings are talking about command of the game. I want to see productivity this year. It's time. I like that he said 15 to 18 minutes. He didn't say 12 to 15 yeah, minutes. He said right. 15 to 18 yep. minutes when he was talking about Byfield. In terms of commanding the game, there was the one game uh, when he made his NHL debut or, or shortly thereafter because he played the Ducks like six of the first eight games or excuse me, three of the first six games or something. It felt like um, there was that one game where he really uh, was was firing on all eight cylinders and really mm-hmm. was a, a power player out there. Um and I saw that the other day in that game. Now, granted, he's playing. Uh, granted, he's playing against um, yeah. uh, younger players, uh, smaller players. You know, he's a big man. He, he's put on some more mass. Uh, he told me that was one of his goals when I talked to him the other day. That was a goal of his over the summer to continue to sort of bulk up. And he certainly looks like he has. But man, that power move that he made from the blue line in—if he can make that, you know, on a consistent basis—he's going to put those points up for you, uh, Dennis. Don't worry about that. The uh, the quick and the cal. Uh, conversation was was sort of an interesting one. Uh, any takeaways or thoughts on that? Um, I think it's a wake up call for Cal Peterson. Yeah, he, he can't be. What was his save percentage last night? Eight ninety can't happen. It just can't happen. It doesn't mean that he's got to be the number one guy, or if they make the playoffs again, he's going to be the guy in it for game one. He's got to be better. I, I, look, John, on a couple of levels, this team was a miracle they got to ninety nine points. When you look at statistically. Like Kopitar was the leading scorer at 67 points. That's like half of what, you know, McDavid and Drysdale had. Their save percentage was low. Their power play was awful. You scratch your head. It's like, you know, they won a lot of close games. They made the playoffs with a plus three goal differential. But Cal simply got to get better. And I know Todd didn't mention this contract, but now he is a $5 million cap hit. You got to get value. I'm sorry. It, it's time. And, and the one takeaway I took away that was really salient, he's saying, hey, he's 27, 28. He's not young anymore he's not a young goalie so it's time for Cal to, to show his worth and with respect to living up to his contract this season it wasn't in place last season but it's got to be way better this season John you can't you can't think you're going to ride Jonathan Quake down the stretch again and into the playoffs again you need more from Cal Peterson without question 
Yeah, that was my point a couple episodes back where um, I said, in, in my opinion, Cal's the X factor this year. They can come yep. in and score all those goals and the defensive you know, units can sort of sort themselves out. But you need to get Cal Peterson going and he needs to put up the numbers that he's capable of producing so that you're not relying so heavily on Jonathan Quick down the stretch and even Great. in the playoffs if they were to qualify. Uh, in terms of the leadership, um, there is a leadership uh, gap or a leadership void that is, is created with the loss of Dustin Brown. Uh, and we'll talk a lot about Dustin Brown, I think, especially in February uh, as it comes time to retire his number against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, I had an idea, actually. Uh, I should I should have told you this privately instead of here on the podcast. But I had this idea for a cool article uh, for, for Dustin Brown, and that would be to watch game one of this season with Brownie kind of like one of those embedded mm-hmm. articles, but to be embedded inside Brownie's head almost. Right. So sure. he's, I mean, it's been forever his whole life. He's, he's played hockey. So he's never sat down as an adult uh, and, you know, watched a game where he's retired and he, this is like right. day one of the rest of his life. Right. So what's it like? I know he's not going to be at Staples center. Brownie's probably all, but told us that, right. He's just, uh, yeah. he's going to be somebody who's going to watch it. If he watches the game at all, he'll be from his couch. So, it would be interesting to write that article and be a fly on the wall and Dustin Brown watching game one of this particular mm-hmm. season. What does he watch? To, you know, I don't even know if he knows how to watch, right? How, how does he watch the game? Does he, does he watch it as a player? Does he watch it as a forward? Does he watch it as a fan? You know, how does he watch the game? I don't think he even knows if you were to ask him how he, how to watch. Cause it's, it's all new to him. Yeah. I think the interesting part is what would his emotions be? Because he's right. Not, I would assume he's not as emotionally invested in the team because he's not on the team and he's now stepped away. And I don't think he'd want to be emotionally invested, right? That that's why you step away to to go back to a normal life to raise your four kids with Nicole. So it'd be, it, it, but you're right. It would be very very intriguing. But I agree with you. I don't think I think we might probably see him more at El Segundo <laughs> with his kids for sure. That we'll see in downtown Los Angeles, at, you know, at the chairman's room. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be very interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, though, right? If the Kings are up 4-2 or 5-2 early in the third, uh, you know, does does he switch? Does he switch it off? And, and does he go play on the Xbox? We know he's a big gamer like, you know, or does he need to see the full 60 minutes? And same token, if the Kings are down 5-2, you know, is he hanging on to watch the big comeback? You know, when they get a power play, is he kind of sitting up on the edge of a seat a little bit? Or is he just kind of, you know? kicking back uh, in his Crocs, eating a, I don't know, eating a bag of chips or something, you know, who knows? Uh, or again, back to the Xbox. And is he going to play call of duty all night instead? And he'll just, you know, he'll wait for a text on his phone to do uh, for somebody to tell him if the team won or not. Uh, he did sidestep the con- uh, sidestep the contract question. So there isn't much there. I-, I loved the thought about the opening night though, Dennis, which is he made an interesting point. This is the thing I love about talking to players and coaches and how they, they, they can change your whole perspective on something with one little quick sentence or one little quick story. And like forever now, my thoughts on game one are changed. I, I, I'm no longer, I don't, you know, game one, throw it out. It doesn't even matter yeah. anymore, right? The season starts on game two. So for the rest, for the rest of eternity, for the rest of the time that I'm following sports, uh, we all thought that game one was such a big deal. No, game one doesn't really matter. It's all about game two. So um my my mind has already switched gears on game one versus game two. Dennis, did you uh, well, did you have okay, that well, same rem- thought? No, when I thought about game two, I thought about game two in Dallas last year where Walker and, and Dowdy got hurt. So that's what I was thinking about thinking about game two. So yeah. Uh yeah. So I, I yeah, maybe as media and fans we make it more big than it is because it's opening night. This is some excitement, new season ahead of us. It's been a few months off since the playoffs. 
but that wasn't interesting. Yes, I would not have expected an answer. Like, let's talk about game two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's do this, DB. Why don't we? Uh, this has been a, a great episode. Uh, a lot of fun stories so far about travel in the first period. Great answers from Todd McClone in the second period. I'll give you a couple of quick nuggets on the uh, rookie tournament through two sure. games, and then let's do some true false here. Um, if you followed along on social media, Brant Clark, outstanding, uh, scores the game winning goal. And by the way, talk about uh, being scared for a moment. And uh, at the end of regulation in game two, Brent oh. Clark is clubbed over the head by God, one of the players man. on the Golden Knights, a camp invitee, if I remember correctly, too. Right. Uh, number yep. 75. And uh, there's Clark just lying on the ice uh, in pain. And I'm thinking this can't really be happening. Like, this is, right. you know, this is not good news. Eventually, he does get up. The player gets tossed, you know, uh, from the game. The Kings go on. And I'm sure it's happened before, but I certainly don't remember a full five-minute power play no, in overtime. In overtime, nope. <laughs> so, And I was sitting there trying to, th- and I was thinking, like, when, I don't, have I ever seen this before? A five-minute overtime yeah. with a power play the entire time. The Kings didn't score on the power play. I don't know if it's the Kings or the Rain or what you call that team. They wear Kings jerseys, so I guess it's the Kings, even though there really are no L.A. Kings or very few of them on the team. But um, So the L.A. Kings, they go to the, uh, they go to the shootout. Uh, Vegas has the first attempt. Rennick stops the puck. And uh, then Akil Thomas goes and he scores. And then Rennick stops the next puck. And then here comes Brant Clark and he comes down. He scores and he knew that the shootout was over. So he just goes right down the tunnel, right? He opens the door and skates off the tunnel. And I'm cracking up laughing as he does it. It's funny enough that he's doing that. And then to top it off, Nothing else happens. The players for both teams stayed on the bench. So Clarkie has to come back down the tunnel and like skate over. And he's like, what's going yeah. on? And eventually the teams come out and they won. And he got a big laugh about it. And uh, uh, after the game, which is kind of funny, but um, Jordan Spence, uh, Clark, those, those guys have looked good. Uh, Taylor Ward, who's going to play with the Ontario rain this year, not really a Kings prospect per se, but he's looked pretty sharp uh, in, in these two games as well. So that has to be encouraging for Marco Sturm because when you're in the American league, Dennis, you need more than just the Kings mm-hmm. prospects. You need those right. TJ Tynans and, yep. you know, no question. Uh, uh, Sutters and, you know, all those guys that, that are the vets that are also down there supporting the team and giving you a chance to win every night. Um, game three is going to be interesting. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day too. It seems like this is the fourth edition of the tournament, Dennis. It seems mm-hmm. like all four teams view the Kings as their biggest rival. The way that they set the schedule up, the marquee right, game right. for the host was always against the Kings. The Vegas Kings game was the big game. Mm-hmm. The Ducks Kings game was the big game when the Ducks hosted it. The Ducks Kings game was the big game when Arizona hosted it. And now tomorrow, uh, the Kings and the Sharks with the Sharks hosting it. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. And now it got me thinking to next year when the Kings are going to host the tournament at uh, TSPC, What's who? Who's the marquee matchup for the Kings? I would, I would have to imagine it's the Ducks, but right. who knows who it's going to be, right? And maybe, maybe the playoffs this year, or or what happens yeah, yeah. would also perhaps dictate some of that, right? If the Kings had a seven game more with with one of those aforementioned teams, maybe that becomes the uh the big marquee game. I don't know. Yeah, the the natural geographic rivalry are the Ducks, and but you're right. I, I think it depends who they play in the playoffs this year. If it's a, it's one of these California teams or. But back to um, Clark's game, and I did watch it on the stream. I guess the confusion was, John, that some, I guess some of the players or some of the teams, I thought that they were going to do five-person shootout and a three-person shootout. 
So that's why oh, he came back. Five rounds. Yeah, because even on the on the on the feed, when they had the shootout, they had five dots as opposed to three oh. dots. So that was the conversation. Like uh, uh, that, they thought they might be doing five, but oh. Brent Clark was right. He goes, "No, I was right. It was it was a three person <laughs> shootout. I got the second right. one. I just walked it off." Yeah. Uh, it was it was fantastic. Um, the other thing I, oh, was, I was thinking during that particular game was the Sharks fans, and, and I mean this in a joking way, not not in a derogatory way. I was curious. The Sharks fans must have been in agony watching that game. They hate the Kings. They hate uh, Vegas. Right. So they didn't know who to cheer for. Right, right. What it seemed like as the game went on, though, that they were more into cheering against Vegas than they were into cheering for the Kings. Sure. They yeah. really have a disdain for the Golden Knights, as do, I think, many fan bases at this point, for whatever reason. For sure. For sure. They do. Yep. All right, Dennis, let's wrap this episode up with this. We have asked. Uh, there was a tremendous positive response to the yes. 50. Uh, NHL related true false questions that we did earlier in the year, courtesy of uh, Boomer and Jaycon from NHL Network Radio. That was a fun episode a couple couple episodes back. So we asked the listeners to give us their LA Kings questions for true false. Uh, let's hold the bulk of these questions for the next episode. We're going to have Nate Thompson join us uh, later in the week and uh, we'll do more of these true false. But how about this, Dennis? Let's just do a few as a yep. teaser. Here's a true false question Kaliev scores 20 goals, true or false? True. I'm going to say true as well. And I think part of the reason for that DB is that I think he's going to get a, a legitimate look at that spot until 33 comes back on the second line. And I think that'll give him a little bit of an extra opportunity, more minutes, and maybe even, like, you know, get, get a little power play time this year as well. So I'm going to say true on that question. Yeah. And, and look, not for nothing. He, he had 14 last year. And if he had not slowed down and hit a wall, I don't think he's going to hit the same wall. He's more mature, another year older conditioning better so yeah i think he can definitely get over 20 all right this next question is uh should be a layup dennis this is is number 33 ready to go october 11th opening night true or false? or excuse me it's a true false question 33 is ready to go on october 11th false nobody's talking yeah i i don't i'm yeah exactly no one's talking like he is there you go this next one this will be our last one for today db there's a whole long list of these false questions thank you and there's some fun ones in there but this is a good one i like this one uh it wasn't asked in the form of a true false question so i'm gonna i'm gonna change it into a true false question Uh, true or false jordan spence will get more playing time in the nhl this year than sean dersey false I'm going to say false too, but then I wanted to ask you a follow-up question. Mm-hmm. Jordan Spence will most likely start the year in the American League because the Kings are going to have seven right. defensemen uh, that are already set at the start of the year. And again, we've talked about this extensively on the program, but that would be Dowdy and Mikey Anderson. Um, that would be Sean Walker and Matt Roy. That would be Edler and Bjornfoot and Dersey. Those are your seven guys that will start the year. So Jordan Spence ends up starting the year with the Ontario Reign. But how about this question, Dennis? Uh, After the trade deadline, after the trade deadline, Mm -hmm. true or false, Jordan Spence gets more playing time than Sean Dersey with the LA Kings. After the trade deadline. Yes. And I ask it that way. Perhaps not for the reason that you're thinking. Okay, I would say uh, false. He doesn't because I, 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 I think that, and I think what you're kind of hinting there is Sean Dursey is going to get traded. No, at the, no, at, no, okay, no, it's not, right. no, no, it's not what I'm. What I'm uh, hinting well, at is that somebody's go going to get traded off the NHL roster to help create room for Jordan Spence 
a la Jack Johnson getting traded to make room for Slava mm-hmm. Boynov. I think the same thing's going to happen this year. I think Jordan Spence will be on the team in the second half of the year. And so I'm saying when he's on the team and Dursey's on the team, does he get more playing time than Sean Dursey? Well, and, and their numbers are skewed because if you look at what they played, at least in the regular season last year, John, they both played around 19. Obviously, Sean played more games. He played 64. But Jordan played, what, 24 games in the regular season, both 19 minutes. But you got to remember, they're playing right side defense without number eight. So those numbers are going to come down. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I would I would think they stick with Dursey as opposed to Spence. But would it shock me if it was true? If that statement was true, no, it wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, the reason I find it an interesting question is that when they're both on the team, it seems that Spence is more of a power play quarterback than Dursey would be. Dursey's obviously used heavily on the power play. And, you know, you think of offensive production when you think of Dursey. But in terms of, like, quarterbacking the power play, I don't know. My mind just sort of thinks of Jordan Mm -hmm. Spence as more as that power play quarterback. Therefore, it might add more minutes. So that'll be something interesting to keep an eye on uh, as – as the season wears along, but no, I don't think the Jersey ends up getting traded. Uh, if you were going to trade Sean Jersey, you would have done it over the summer. And instead of uh, trading him, you sign him to a two-year contract at, uh, Hey, what do you know? It's a number that's around uh, 1.5 to 2 million. And Hey, it's a mm-hmm. two-year deal. Sort of sounds familiar, Dennis. <laughs> yes, it does. John. Mikey Anderson's going to get paid next summer though. I'll tell you that much right now. Right. He took a one-year deal. He's not making a lot of money. Mikey Anderson's going to get paid. John, here's the thing though. Here's the thing that I don't really understand. I don't get it. Maybe because it's just, it was the summertime. Things are slow. Like that was a long wait for <laughs> a, what? A hundred thousand, $150,000 raise. Okay. Well, not even the cap. It was $75,000 more than, okay. than it was this season. That's a long wait. Cause I know people are scared and, Posting pictures like, oh, my God, why are these guys going to sign? But it was a long wait to get a million dollars. Okay, so here, here's my here's my quick theory on this, and then we can go. We can wrap this episode up. My theory is this, Dennis. It was a blinking contest. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who was waiting for who to blink more, but you had a three-way blinking contest that was going on. You had Rob Blake, right. who on one side, he really had no reason to uh, to blink first because he knew what he had. He had four million dollars in total, right? right. At, at, yep. uh, on the high side, it's like three nine eight, whatever it was. The numbers on mayorsmanner.com. You guys can go look it up. Posted it all summer long. Uh, Blake had no reason to blink first. He he knew what he had. He had four million dollars to chop up between two players. So then you mm-hmm. have Alan Walsh, who represents Sean Dursey, and then you had Mikey Anderson's uh, agent on the other side, and. One of those guys is looking to blink first. And if you look at, at Walsh and Dursey and where they wanted to come in at, right, mm-hmm. you know that they're going to yep. get or they wanted a million five to two million, somewhere in that range. Right. So they wanted as close to half of that money that they could get. And they were willing to go right. two years to get more. Right. They could have signed a one year deal, yep. could have just taken the qualifying offer. But, you know, to get a two year deal, you're going to sign for a little bit more money. Uh, it's a win win contract, by the way. There's a lot of talk when I was up in San Jose this year talking with uh people from all both sides i should say there was a lot of talk about win-win and how this was a win-win for the jersey camp and a win-win for the king's camp so if you're over Mm -hmm. there on the mikey anderson side of things it is interesting because they did sort of blink first they they decided to sign first right and then the jersey contract came after that uh but yeah why not a million five and i mean there still would have been money left on the table right maybe maybe you could push the kings to a million five and still taking a one-year deal but this is one of those situations where you have to kind of wonder 
what the conversations were. Uh, you can't make promises, right, about next year. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't do yeah, yeah. off the table things, but you do kind of have to think like, hey, man, take the million dollars this year, take a team friendly deal, and it's going to come back to you on the other side. And we've seen this with many other players, uh, oh, yeah. you know, in, in the past. And so that's why I say Mikey Anderson's going to get paid because he's definitely not getting paid, uh, what, you know, this summer or this coming season for this this one year deal at a million bucks, basically. So he's going to get paid. One thing. But here's the thing, John. He's still not arbitration eligible at the end of this for for at the end of the season. So no, but you buy still, some of that down. You buy some of that yeah. down. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know what? Also, I think hurts is that you look in the in the column all the way to the right and it says eight points. I just don't. I don't know like how much you can really on the upside pay a player who's really doesn't give you anything offensively. So I think it, it's. I agree. He should get paid. I, I mean. Is he a five million dollar year defenseman? No, no. Well, okay, okay. Well, no. But if he but if he gets three million, Dennis, that that's a three hundred percent increase from where he is. Okay, so, so he, you better give him Matt Roy's contract. That's what you would sure. Say. Okay, I'll tell you what. Uh, the way he played against Connor McDavid in the playoffs, he might be oh, a yeah, five no, million dollar year. Hey, player. I'm not a hater. <laughs> I'm not hating. I'm not hating. I mean, no, no he he'll he'll deserve that money. But again, it's not. He, he's going to have to show again. Because he doesn't have leverage of, of arbitration, this in, yeah. in this offseason, this this coming season. But yeah, he 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 deserves. Off last season, he had a great season, but he's got to do it again one more time. He he instead of a two by two, he could be looking at a three by three, which would be pretty yeah. interesting. So yep. I think we'll Agreed. talk more about that as uh, as we get into next summer, Dennis. Uh, for now, need to go study up and see who the Kings are playing in game two because I don't even know. I know uh, ga- I only know game one. Seattle. I'm only focused on game one. Game Seattle. two, Seattle. Okay. Seattle at home Thursday. Okay. Seattle at home. So there you go. Hey, there's a Seattle connection on the next podcast. We're going to bring Nate Thompson onto the program and he played four years for the Seattle Thunderbirds in the WHL. So there you go. There's a nice uh, Seattle connection. That's going to wrap it up. DB Uh, training camp kicks off this week. We'll be back soon with another edition of Kings of the podcast. Enjoy everybody. We'll see you on Twitter. Personified, and I will drag you down and say.